0: You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com the book of Acts. Uh, We started back in January in chapter 1, verse 1. We're just working our way through this important book of the Bible. Uh, My name is Dean, the pastor at City Church. It's good to be together this morning. Uh, We have uh, a big week coming up here at our church as kids camp starts tomorrow morning, our version of Vacation Bible School. All right, so uh, let's make sure we're all praying for that. Uh, If you see anybody in the City Church kids' shirt or anyone's going to be a part of that, just thank them, encourage them. We're grateful for our staff and all those who are putting in the work uh, to really welcome lots of people from our community, hundreds of kids, And a lot of those kids don't have a church home. A lot of their parents maybe don't know Jesus. And it's an opportunity to show these kids the love of God understood. And the greatest story ever told, that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners, that God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, so our in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. They can actually know God. And we see it happen all the time, that as a result of the kids hearing the gospel, getting excited, having a great experience here, they'll go home and tell their parents about God's love for them. Uh, So it's really neat weeks. I know Jake just prayed, but I'm going to pray again because I want to lift up uh, this, uh, I guess you can't pray too much either, so we're going to pray again. uh, because I want to lift up this week to the Lord and ask the Lord just to really do a work And we're surely thankful for it. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, we will jump into Acts. It'll be in Acts chapter 15 uh, this morning. Our Father, we are grateful uh, for your love for us. We're thankful for the scriptures. I ask I'll be faithful in presenting them today, that you'll speak through me. It'll not be of my words, my work, but yours. I ask to be with all the churches in Tallahassee that have a version of Vacation Bible School this summer. May the gospel go forward in every church in this community, and lift up ours this week. That you will bring kids here eager to hear and to have a great time at church, and this can be the best week of their summer. I pray for our kids team. I thank you for their leadership, uh, for their passion for family and next generation ministry, and for all those who are going to be helping that week, volunteering, those who give regularly to make this happen. And we're just really thankful uh, for the opportunity. We want to be good stewards of it. So we ask you, bless this week, keep the enemy out of this place this morning, and out of any plans. And we're just grateful for the good news of Jesus, and we're thankful for all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Uh, one more thought on that. We don't charge anything for it, not even like a recoup the cost kind of charge, because we want no barriers in the way. So it's 100% free for these families that come to kids' camp. It's very expensive to do, and it's the giving of this church that makes that happen. That's so why we have, a let's go initiative. So we want to keep going with the gospel in our community, so thank you for that. So Acts chapter 15, we're going to see as we get in the middle of Acts here, uh, that and it really helps us understand the rest of the New Testament because a lot of the letters like Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians are pointing back to what was happening. It's referencing what was actually happening here in this story. So to understand Acts often, you have to read other books of the Bible uh, to kind of help supplement the understanding of what's taking place here. And it seemed like the last few weeks that over and over again, we keep talking about circumcision. And you're like, why do we keep talking about circumcision? Can we move on to something else? Well, that was what they were talking about because it was a major issue at the time for the people who were coming to faith in Christ. Because Jewish believers, Jewish people who were of Jewish heritage, of Jewish religion, but really did believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they received him as the long-promised, awaited one who would come to die for the sins of God's people, to redeem the Lord's people just as God had promised them. They actually trusted in Jesus, believed he died, believed he rose again, trusted in him for their salvation. But a lot of them were still hanging on to Jewishness, culturally. Culturally. And they were telling these Gentile, non-Jewish converts to Christianity that they had to be circumcised in order to be right with God. They had to go through that procedure in order to be forgiven of their sins and counted as an actual Christian. If that was me, I might have said, you know what? Buddhism sounds really good right about now. Uh, But that's what was taking place. They were telling adult believers that this had to happen. But fundamentally, here's the question being asked. Yes, circumcision is the literal example and thing they were dealing with. The question they're asking is, what must a person do to be saved? What must a person do in order to be saved? And the most appropriate question is, well, will save from what? And the answer is God's just punishment towards sin. That God is a loving God and a holy God at the exact same time. As a holy God, he can't let sin go unpunished. What kind of God would have shrug his shoulders and say, no big deal. Yes, I'm the creator. Yes, I want you to worship me. But you can go worship anything you want to worship and it's no big deal. You believe what you want to believe. You go do what you want to do. I mean, what kind of God is that? God won't let sin go unpunished. But rather than punishing us as our sins deserve, which is death, we betrayed our creator. Jesus, who never sinned, died in our place to take on God's punishment for us. Satisfying the wrath of God, who was holy in his punishment towards sin, and also offering us forgiveness, pardon, grace, mercy by taking on the death that we deserve? What must a person do in order to be saved? And the answer is, trust in the Lord Jesus as the one, as the only way to salvation, as our substitute, as one who didn't just die for us, he died instead of us in our place, rose to the grave three days later, and one day will come back again and make all things right and all things new. So that's the question they're wrestling with. They believe it's Jesus, but it's Jesus plus something else. And the plus something else for them is Circumcision. So to gain an understanding of what's taking place, we need to go a book of Galatians to understand as we go through the book of Acts. Galatians chapter 2, Paul's referencing what's taking place here. He says, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. I'll make sure they understood we were on the same page. I was hitting my head up against a wall. But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. The pressure was on him to get circumcised in order to be right with God in their opinion. But no, this matter arose because some false brothers. Notice he's not afraid to call them that they appear to be brothers in Christ, but they're false because of what they're teaching. They had infiltrated, it's not like a conspiracy us. they had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. Why the word enslave? Well, it enslave us by the burdens of the law, the requirements they're placing upon us in order to know God, in order to be saved. But notice what he says, and we must be so thankful of this as Christians here in 2023 who are recipients of the work God let them do. We did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment. Why? And we should be so thankful for this looking back. So the truth of the gospel will be preserved for you. I think one of the great callings on my generation, the generation above me, and the generation above that is to make sure the gospel, the good news, is guarded and preserved for the next generation. That might sound dramatic, that's not the intent. It's a biblical essential truth. We might make sure the gospel remains guarded, that it's not added to, and it's not taken away from. The answer is Jesus Christ crucified and risen. See, their confidence, we could say, is in the flesh, and that confidence is coming from their own personal circumcision. I'm like a varsity level Christian, I'm right with God, God's happy with me because I've gone through this procedure in my life. You might go, okay, but that's not a thing today, no one says today that they're right with God, at least I've never met that person because of circumcision, but you can substitute any word that makes you have confidence in your flesh and makes you think you're right with God because of it. Morality, that you're a good person, that makes you right with God, you might think, maybe religion. You've gone through the rituals, you had your first communion and you had, you know, you had uh, your confirmation, maybe your baptism, whatever it could be. That's what makes me right with God. Others just accomplishments. Maybe what you've worked hard to achieve in your life and that you're an honest person in doing so. You have a good family, you're a great husband, a great wife, a good father, a good mother. You're working hard as a student. You're trying to do the right things on campus. See, none of those things are bad things circumcision is not a bad thing. I don't want to Google this, I'm kind of afraid, but the majority, I'm guessing, of American males, and there is a difference between a man and a woman, just so you know, American males have been circumcised. I don't want to spend too much talking about that, but if you haven't been, that's no a big deal either. I want to move on from that quick, but it's not a bad thing. Like, circumcision is a neutral thing, But they were putting confidence in this neutral thing and letting it determine where they stand with god on whether or not someone was circumcised and what's happening here is not an issue of circumcision or not circumcision it's adding things on to the faith that is the issue a good thing morality religion ethics became a means of salvation for the people and we can't be too harsh on them because we're all prone i know i am go back into the mindset of adding on to salvation. Like a, yeah, what about this? That kind of tendency to want a whataboutism when it comes to the doctrine of grace. So having this letter to look back on that they're going to receive, that actually is coming from the First Jerusalem Council, that it deal with issues of how do we make sense of Jews and Gentiles who are now Christians coming together as one church? But the reality is we have to ask that question of ourselves regularly if we're going to walk faithfully with Christ. And that is, what do I add to salvation in my life? What is the temptation I had to say Jesus plus something else? Jesus, yeah, but also this. Martin Luther, the great reformer, wrote "The religion is the default mode of the human heart. And by religion, the context here is a works-based righteousness. It's what it always goes back to. It's the default mode for Humans is that our hearts want to perform and think that that's the way that God is pleased with us. So here are these Jewish people who were raised strictly very Jewish in terms of religion, customs, morals, festivals, you name it. They've been told their entire lives that circumcision is needed to be a faithful Jew. And now these Gentiles, they look down upon their entire lives, are coming to faith in Christ and they're going, wait a second. How can we answer the question of how they must be saved? And Paul's going, and the disciples are saying, it's through Jesus. They believed in Jesus Christ as the one who died for their sins. Isn't that amazing? They're going, yeah, that's great. They need to be circumcised. Because not only were they not Jewish in the Gentiles' eyes, they were also raised being told the Gentiles were scum. They were unclean. They called them pigs. So not only are they coming to faith in Christ and not being circumcised, they're the scummy people. So here, they're saying, how can we get them less scummy? Not sure that's why the word we use, but scummy. And their answer was not be changed by Jesus Christ. Their answer was, be more like us. Let's make them more Jewish, and then they won't be as repulsive as we've been told our entire lives they are. So Paul's writing this letter and it says this in verse 16 of Galatians 2. Yet because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. But how? By faith in Jesus Christ. Not justified by circumcision. Not justified by being a good Catholic. Not justified by baptism. Not justified by being moral and upstanding citizen. Not justified by voting a certain way. They're justified by faith in Jesus Christ, even if we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. He says, even we ourselves, saying, we're the most Jewish people you could possibly imagine. And we have come to faith in Christ by faith alone, not by anything of our flesh or our works. This is so we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Why? Why? Because the works of the law, no human being will be justified. You might go, this sounds so repetitive. It really is the theme of much of the New Testament. But it's by grace we're saved through faith, not by works. So nobody can boast except in the work of Jesus Christ. Also, there's a level playing field at the cross. Jew and Gentile. This resume, that resume. I'm this religious, I'm not religious at all. Level playing field at the foot of the cross. I put on my social media last night... That salvation by works means that every day I have to start the effort again. I have to reboot the effort. Have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Have I been moral enough? But salvation by grace through faith every morning you wake up with new mercies. New mercies. Being satisfied in Christ, resting in his work rather than your own. Tim Keller calls the gospel a type of smelling salt. As in, it wakes you up and allows you to kind of come to your senses and say, it's not by me, it's by Christ. Many were turned off by religion growing up because it always came back to what you have to do, what you have to do, what you have to do. And people who were telling you that, you knew their lives and they weren't perfect either, so it caused a lot of confusion. And then you go through something in your life that brings guilt, brings shame, And now you're going, does God still love me? Do I need to like become a Christian again? Do I need to get saved again? Do I need to be forgiven again? And the reality is a works-based salvation always points to that direction of questioning whether or not we've done enough and the deep things of God or what we're seeing here in Galatians that yes in Christ he is the one who has done enough. He lived the perfect life you couldn't live. He died the death that you deserved. He rose from the grave and one day you will be resurrected as well. Paul said, "Do not set aside the grace of God." As Alex Scott said last week, aren't you thankful we don't sing amazing circumcision how sweet the sound. For if righteousness comes through the law, if it requires getting circumcised to get saved, then Christ died for nothing. Then celebrating Christmas, just make it about winter and home alone and cookies. The Jesus part doesn't really matter. Who cares that God came to earth? If we can just have a work to be saved, Good Friday is just a tragedy that's unspeakable that we shouldn't even really acknowledge. We shouldn't be embarrassed of it than anything rather than seen as the grace of God at work. And Easter, who, I don't even know how to explain that apart from Christ. But the reality is he did die for something. He died for our sins. So what's happening now in pop Christianity is people are trying to say the answer is you just believe in yourself more. You just believe that dream. God's got a you know a big dream for your life. If you just do this and do that and we're going to have a generation of Christians that are in their 20s now and then 20 years from now look back in disappointment because they were ascribing promises to God he never made, thinking that by my certain posture or mindset, it's going to cause God to do these amazing things in my life It only makes sense in an affluent Western 21st century context rather than their rest being in what already has been accomplished for them, and is that Jesus Christ has purchased their salvation and they belong to the family of God. Now, because that's a reality, the burden is lifted off my shoulders and I can now go work and do the things I want to do for God's glory, not to earn his favor, because I already have it in Christ. It is not by works that you have been saved. This Jerusalem council conveys in Acts chapter 15, there's some disputes happening here over Gentile and Jewish involvement, And there's two things we can learn from the council. And the first thing is that in matters of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, there is no room for compromise. I'm not saying you be combative or lack compassion. What I'm saying is there is zero room to compromise even an inch about how one is to be saved. The apostles and the elders were very firm and quick in shutting down any idea that it is by works or circumcision that one is saved. Salvation is by faith alone through grace alone. Human effort is excluded. It makes no theological sense for human effort to be an issue. Ephesians chapter 1, or chapter 2, excuse me, this is Paul writing, the same one who wrote Galatians, who said we're justified by faith. He said this, you were dead, not barely kicking, not hanging on spiritually, He's talking about here you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked he's talking to christians about their past who they were before jesus in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world as in the enemy without even realizing it was your god rather than god himself it was according to the ruler the power of the air the spirit now working in the disobedient he says we too and he's owning this he's not judging anyone he's telling his own story we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. As then we fought things, felt things, then acted on them and lived them in sin. Because you know what we were? We were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. We were people who were guilty before God of sin and deserved his just punishment for sin. He's saying that was our reality. Like that was our lives. So, what's the solution there? Get better? Dream bigger dreams? Try harder? What's the solution for spiritually dead people to come alive? Oftentimes, it's just decorating the corpse. But God, what an amazing two words. It's like there is an answer. There is a solution, and God in his great love has provided it for us. Here's where we were last three verses. But God... He was rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. It's driven by something. The love he has for his people. You know what he did? He made us alive. He brought us from the spiritual dead. But how did he do it? With Christ. Even though we were dead in our trespasses. Notice that mention even though. It doesn't say after we got it all worked out after we came to our senses. He goes, no, we were dead in our sins and God made us alive in Jesus. He gave us a new life, a new chance, a new hope, a new reality. He said, you were, he goes, you were saved by grace. Imagine hearing this We're at circumcision. Follow these rules. Earn God's favor. Have I done enough laying in bed at night? Have I done enough today? Waking up in the morning, I better get after it. I want to make sure God and I are okay. Stuff would drive you mad. There are many people who it has driven mad. You're saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens, a promise in Christ Jesus. Like Like we are gods, we're with him forever. We've been raised. Why? So the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God wants to display his kindness to us. And he says, for you are saved by grace through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's God's gift to you. It's not from works. So that no one can boast. That God gets all the credit and all the glory because it all comes from him. Salvation by works diminishes the love of God. So we sing songs like Amazing Grace. We're amazed by His love for us. We're amazed by the grace He's shown us. If it's not while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That he, if there's another option, then it's He loved us, but it's just sort of sentimental. Like a grandfather loves a grandchild. Maybe even lesser than that. that's a wonderful love. Maybe the love you have for ice cream or Chick-fil-A or whatever it could be. If God tells us we're only saved by our efforts or Jesus plus something else. It diminishes his love. So the second thing we're told in the Jerusalem Council, less than I should say, is that grace should be extended for differences that aren't central to the gospel. Close-handed on issues of the gospel, preserving it for the next generation, open-handed on differences that aren't central to the gospel. We can get along because we have the gospel in common. So this council meeting showed great wisdom and leadership in bringing about an agreement on cultural issues that really could have destroyed their unity of the church and the mission going forward. And the call is for Gentile believers to abstain from certain practices, not because it earned God's favor, not even because it would be sinful, but for the sake of the Jewish Christians and the harmony of the church by following the council's advice that we're told is spirit-led, that it comes from God, that you know what happened as a result? We're told in Acts 15 that when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. So they received this letter, this call from the disciples, the elders of the church, to live in unity together, to put aside secondary order differences to allow the first orders of who Jesus is, of what he's done, of what is the gospel, unobstructed, be what drives and unifies them. What they're doing is they're seeing the reality of what it means to love God and to love their neighbor. For the Jews, it meant this, that circumcision and food laws are not necessary for salvation. They're also not necessary for Christian maturity. So don't impose those things on Gentile believers who have been saved by grace just like you have. You weren't saved by your circumcision either. For the Gentiles, it was, hey, you can take a deep breath and get over yourself for a minute and chill on some of your liberties you have that are God given liberties for the sake of something greater, which is the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. If you don't get this, maybe you're missing the fact that God has been incredibly charitable with you. And for the sake of the mission, if you are more concerned about your personal liberties on these certain issues, then you are the unity of the church and it's going to be a long road out there in a secular hostile culture. So how they communicated this from the council was through a letter and the letter is basically a cliff notes kind of sparks notes version of the meeting they had and here's how it goes and the apostles and the elders it's from Acts 15 with the whole church just a church effort decided to select men who were among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas called Bersabbas and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. They wrote, from the apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. Since we have heard that some without our authorization went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, Christian missions and ministry is never meant to be rogue not in a cultic weird kind of way, but in an affirmation kind of way, the church commissions and blesses those who are going out. We are never called to go rogue or on our own doing our own agenda. This is taking place here. He goes, hey, we didn't send those folks out. The ones telling you that are not of us, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Paul. And And he's like, and guess what? You guys know us. We're not perfect. We've risked our lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we have put our money where our mouth is. We have risked our lives. We believe this to be true about the resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, we've sent Judas and Silas who will personally report the same thing by word of mouth. So you're getting a letter and you're getting a word of mouth. So we're really letting you know what happened here. For was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours and God's in this not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements. No more burden to to carry in terms of what it means to be saved. He said, here's what we're asking you to do. These are the requirements. If you abstain from food offered to idols, which would have very much offended Jewish people, from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled. Some of you hunters are like, what's wrong with that? We'll talk about that in a minute. And from sexual immorality. Because you're going to do well. Your church is going to flourish if you keep yourselves from these things. Farewell. This is a response to what they told them earlier. Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. Receive them, Jewish people, as brothers and sisters in the faith. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual morality, meaning anything that has been strangled and from blood, So what Paul is calling them to do is to respect the ceremonial laws of the Jews in a way to love your neighbor and keep unity in the church and not flaunt your liberties. So what's happening here is they're going, wait, You just told us, hey, you just told us that it's not by circumcision, that we're saved by grace, that as Gentiles, we have the same forgiveness the Jews do if they believe in Christ, that there's no, you said you don't want to put burdens in our way, and now you're telling us we can't eat food because it was sacrificed to an idol? Idols aren't even real things. Like, it's a pretend statue, like, leave my chicken alone. Like, why, why do you care? And Paul's like, guys, chill out. Everybody Deep breaths. Breathing exercises, first sunlight of the day, cold shower, vitamins. Here we go. I know. It's not sinful to eat food that was sacrificed to an idol. You're right. It's not real. It's a statue, and it's just chicken. They were raised believing and being taught that it was. Maybe a couple generations down the road, they'll move on and get over it but right now it's a thing. So let's get over ourselves for 3.2 seconds. And when you're around them, don't eat those things. It's not worth it. Yes, you're free to do it, but why would you if it offends the brother, if it offends the sister, as in this is more important than this, as in we is more important than me. What a lost thing for Christianity in our culture today. Or we often mirror the world rather than mirror what's happening here. And they had a conflict. They were struggling through this. And Alex brought up a parallel last week that I think makes sense, just to kind of reiterate. If you're kind of back in church, getting back in the swing of things, just kind of catch you up. Uh, the kind of, a, a sort of equivalent might be alcohol. Uh, so it's not, I'm perfectly apples to apples. Alex did a good job of explaining it last week, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But like, I, I think it's very clear in the scriptures that there's a lot of dangers about alcohol. Scriptures also tell us that you shouldn't be drunk, that you should be sensitive towards others, obey the laws of the land, should be 21. There's a lot of dangers in alcohol. The Bible calls it a mocker, that it leads people astray. At the same time, we see in the Scriptures people having wine. Like, it, it, so in other words, and if you were raised like Deep Southern Baptists or Assembly of God, just take a deep breath real quick. Hang in there, I promise. You're like going down to your chair. So I believe that Christians have liberty to consume alcoholic beverages, We don't have liberty to get drunk, that's sin. We don't have liberty to disobey the laws of the land, that'd be sinful. We don't have liberties to disrespect others' struggles, that'd be sinful. So you have the freedom to have a glass of wine. You have the freedom to have beer at your tailgate or to go meet some friends after work for happy hour. You have the freedom to do those things. And your conscience could not be violated at, at all. But it's like very uncontroversial to say, and I think everyone will agree with me, that you probably shouldn't enjoy that drink in front of somebody who's struggled with alcoholism and is recovering. Well, that's like pretty meat and potato. Like, I think all religions would agree on that. How much more people who have been saved by Jesus Christ should we care about that as those of others? So liberty, yes. But a way you can abuse that liberty is by not considering other people and how they might be sensitive or have convictions or have a past towards those things. He's telling them, yes, guys, y'all can have the biggest barbecue. and I mean, you can go to Four Rivers three times a day. Just don't do it. Let's let's refrain from it for now as we're building this church and going forward because we're unified in more important things than this. Now, something that pops up in here that may be confusing for a second is he includes sexual immorality in that. So it'd be easy to go, well, does that mean that sexual immorality is also kind of a gray area where you can just sort of make sure you're respecting somebody and besides that doesn't really matter and well there's a lot of confusing things in the Bible I'll be the first to admit that sexual immorality and what God says about his design is not one of those confusing things it is as clear in the Bible as help the poor and love your neighbor and Jesus walking on water and Jesus rising from the grave if you have issues with Christian sexual ethics, then it's the Bible that you have an issue with. And I hopefully mean that from a posture of humility, but that's reality. So while those other things, the food laws, were ceremonial and were temporary, we see God's sexual ethics for his people that he has designed, carry out through all the scriptures affirmed by Jesus Christ, and the design from the beginning until the end. So he's telling, the, he's telling the Gentiles, you don't have to live like a Jew. I'm going to ask you to get circumcised. That's adding works to your salvation. No, it's not sinful to eat a, something that was committed to an idol. That's just a thing. But because of where we are and the sensitivity, it's not worth it right now. So be careful of the Jews. At the same time, Gentiles, you were saved from this world, quit living like it. You've been redeemed from the world's sexual immorality. You've been raised from death to life, not to live like you used to live, but to live a new life in Christ. And one of the greatest ways now that you can demonstrate we're different from the world and have been saved is we don't go by the world's rules regarding sexual ethics. We believe in God's design for his people because it's for his glory and it's for our good. That's how it can be Distinct. So be sensitive towards the Jews, but also don't go back to your old way of life you used to be as, a, as an unconverted Gentile. You've been saved from that. So what's his message to all people? 1 Corinthians six eighteen: Flee sexual immorality. Flee. It's the Greek word that gives us fugitive. On the run. Like, go. Flee from this. And it's clear in the scriptures that God has a design. And his design for sexuality is that sex is not for in love people or for ready people or for committed people or for mature people. It's for married people. And he has clearly defined marriage as being between a man and a woman till death do them part. And he's saying anything outside of that. And it's not rules for the sake of rules. One that's a glory issue, God's the creator of it. So when you say, God, no thanks, I don't want what you've given me, I want what I want or what culture tells me I should have, what you're saying is, I'm playing the role of God. I'm playing the role. Like, I get to call the shots. I get to redesign how it's supposed to be. How bold am I if I think that way? And I'm sure there's other areas of my life where I do that far too often, where I think, well, yeah, I know God says this, but I think this. How bold. How bold. Say, I know better than the Creator, and that my desires, my stubbornness, my selfishness, the pressure I feel from the outside world, that all that's more important than what God says. This is the God we're just told who shows us his immeasurable kindness and loves us and has saved us not by works but by grace. If that's true of him, can't we trust him for everything else? Like, why do we believe Jesus when he says to help the poor? And why do we believe the good Samaritan story but not believe him when he defines in Matthew 19 marriage as between a man and a woman who are husband and wife? Well, why? Like, why do we nod our heads and the Bible says, hey, respect other people and the fact that they might struggle with the food laws. We're like, yeah, that's a good thing. Why do we believe the Bible for that and not believe the Bible when it tells us to flee sexual immorality? Why? Because we love us some us and want to pick and choose what it is that we want to follow, which shows how dependent we are upon the gospel of Jesus Christ every single day. So he does it for his glory, but also it's for our good. Look at the brokenness in this world. Some that's been caused by you, other that's not was not your fault. By destructive decisions. That regarded sexuality. I mean, look around. Look around. I pull up to a stop sign. They're all over town. Had a sign that said divorce, 349 bucks. You paid that per person at the wedding reception. And I believe that God's grace is deep and wide and for every single person. And we have people in this room that have been married fifty years and have been married five times. I think grace is for everyone in this room. That God forgives all people, but the reality is we have looked at the majority. The majority of divorces are caused by sexual immorality, by infidelity. So not all majority. So we're looking at that and going, are we surprised that Pride Month is the way that it is? We just said that doesn't matter. It's three hundred forty-nine bucks. So are we really surprised that since that doesn't matter, that what a man is doesn't matter, what a woman is doesn't matter? We need grace so bad. We need to recover and restore without compromise or shame what God has given us for his glory and for our good. Please, this month especially, stop giving in to the lies of this world. It is brokenness, It needs to be restored, not embraced. So what happened after they received this letter? So they were sent off and went down to Antioch. After gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. I think there's a lot for us in this little closing here. When they read it, they rejoiced because of the encouragement. He just told them, don't eat that food and make sure that you don't have sexual morality in your life. And they're like, "Woo! what's going on here? I think they had a deep breath in the things of this world and were allowed to see unity and align themselves in the things that God says we should align on. It says, both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. So there was a sermon there. But listen to this. After spending some time there, they were sent back in peace by the brothers and sisters, those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. They didn't just drop this bomb of a letter and take off. They didn't hide behind their social media posts with no actual real life, carrying each other's burdens, answering questions, showing compassion, being patient, giving time. How easy to fire off something, or to share something without intending to walk with somebody who's hurting and is questioning and is and, and has been broken by the sexual ethics of this world, who feels like they're a third-class citizen because they've been divorced, or thinks that they're worthless because somebody their, their husband has a pornography addiction, and or or somebody who you know is trapped in sexual revolution. I mean, how easy is it to go, here's my opinion, boom. These guys stayed. They remained in Antioch after bringing that letter with real people, with real names, whom God loves and walked with them and prayed with them and did church with them and instructed them and forgave them and gave grace to them. Why? Because the exact same things that God did with those people who are now the messengers and continues to do for us every single day. So let's be compassionate, let's be courageous. Let's be kind, let's also be convictional. Let's also be people who are unashamed of this good news, but are so unashamed that we first believe it's for us, as in the only difference between us and someone who's not a Christian is Jesus. It's not that I'm better than that person, it's Christ. Would I the fact that I believe that Jesus has given me life? Now live my life, not trying to impress God, but living from the acceptance and love of God, where I'm not swayed by the latest teachings of this world. So I'm not too big for my britches. I'm not saying I'm not. I am way too often. I'm talking about as all of us. I'm not too big for my britches. I don't think that I'm the elite one because I've been you know gone by the Jewish laws. And at the same time, I'm not compromising to the life that I used to live and used to be apart from Jesus. Why? Because he has set us free. There's a lot there in a little letter about what happened in the Jerusalem Council. Let's pray and thank God. Our Father, we are grateful for your love for us. What a thought. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. If that was not true, we would have been left on our own trying to climb our way to you and failing miserably, but you and your grace and love came to us. So Lord, let us be people who are convinced of your compassion, of your act, of your mercy, of your grace. Because of that, we can lay down certain liberties for the sake of others around us in the church. Lord, forgive us when we blend in and resemble the world we were saved from. But we don't ask that you remove us from the world, no, we want to be in it just like Jesus was. We want to plant roots, walk with people. But we ask that we don't resemble the world in doing so. That we live distinct lives that point people to a distinct God. Lord, for this month especially, Lord, forgive to compromise we continue to see amongst professing Christians in this community and beyond. It is not loving you, and it is not loving our neighbor when we lie and pretend and twist truths all to be accepted. Lord, I don't want to have to worry about who I'm accepted by when I'm already accepted in you and by you. Let us be people who love because you first loved us and love you as your word tells us by keeping your commandments, filled by your spirit, by your grace, for your glory, here and to the ends of the earth, may know that Jesus Christ is Lord. We ask this all in his name, amen.